0: Kind of get us started here this morning, maybe, with uh, just kind of a quick, just a quick overview of uh, where we've been, where we are. I'm going to try to try to do that quickly, and uh, so we can kind of pick up where Brother Matt had left us uh, from last Lord's Day. Let's go over really quick as we think about. Chapters 1 through 6, we had problems that were reported to Paul, uh, probably from the through the household of Chloe, divisions, fornication, discipline, lawsuits, taking brothers to court. We kind of s- did a little transition uh, when we hit chapter 7, when it comes to marriage. Uh, many things in this chapter uh, that uh, were things that it looks like may have been Questions that uh, the Corinthians had written to Paul based on things that we read when it says, Now concerning the things that you wrote to me. Now concerning the things that you wrote with regard to now concerning the things sacrificed to idols. Uh, we're going to see that, basically that statement Paul uses throughout through chapters 12 through 14, uh, covering the abuse of the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about false teaching in the resurrection in chapter 15, and we're going to look at the collection of the saints, chapter 16. Again, looking at chapter 1, we saw divisions and wisdom of men. Chapter 2, we saw faith does not rest in the wisdom of men. Chapter 3, we saw the preachers or servants, fellow workers. And chapter 4, giving us the proper view of ministers, of preachers. Chapter 5, we had a situation where man was with his father's wife, a fornicator that was among the church. Um, instead of being in a position to where they would look at that situation and deal with it appropriately, in some ways they were puffed up. They were arrogant. They weren't d- taking care of something they should have taken care of and tolerating sin. And so Paul was even talking to him about the situation of not disciplining that brother. Chapter 6, we look at uh, lawsuits, taking a brother to court, and last part of chapter 6, we see uh, Talks to him about sexual immorality. Uh chapter six, uh, dealing with brother to court, had some good discussion about that. Um, and we recognize that had he had even compared that to the seriousness of that, being as he referred to the chapters unrighteous in how you would deal with the brother if you were to take your brother to court versus go to him, Matthew 18, and talk to him about that issue and uh, Work that process through the church. Work that process amongst yourselves. Matt took us through chapter 7, introduced chapter 7. Did a really good job last Lord's Day. Um, he, uh, I'm going to kind of bring up some things here that uh, he provided for us and kind of let you know again the uh, somewhat the outline for chapter 7 and looking at... Uh, what we're going to be discussing uh, this morning, Uh, but uh, had the general overview from as Matt took us through uh, verses 1 through 9, talked about divorce, uh, the section through chapter 10 to where we are this morning, Uh, going to be verses 16, 17 as we start, uh, principles of Paul's instruction that he provides uh, these brethren here at Corinth. And then uh, some instruction to those who are the unmarried, those uh, those betrothed to, to virgins and to the widows in verses 39 through 40. This, this particular chapter, there's a lot of meat in here, a lot of things. There's a lot of things that uh, just through the years, things can be taken uh, to, to controversy, uh, a lot of things with regard to, some that would use verses and, and, and different verses in this particular chapter uh, would and, and take and have, and have taken things out of context um, we're going we're going to get started here this morning as we look at this section here of Paul's principles and instructions as we look at at at, at uh, seven verse seventeen uh, any questions over the first fifteen or sixteen Verses that we've looked at that Matt took us through uh, last Lord's Day. Anything that any comments or anything before we get started? Okay. Um, so as we as we as we start to break down and, and we start to look at uh, what we have here, I'm going to kind of st- st- just kind of do us do a little review for us. Um, Here, let me get to uh, verse 15. I'm going to start with verse 15. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Uh, Looking at at this particular verse, as uh, Paul talks to these brethren think it's important that we recognize there's a couple of things i wanted to bring out about this verse um if here's a situation where you got a brother a christian you got one that's a, a non-christian you got uh and the and the unbelieving one that the non-christian decides they want to leave the brother or sister is not under bondage and what i guess i want to kind of talk about there for just a minute is i look at uh this particular word, under bondage. This, uh, th- this is not, we think about, in, in looking up this word and looking at uh, the, the meaning behind it and how it's, been, how it's used, if the believing spouse departs, he's saying to let them depart. It's not under bondage, this particular word means enslavement, not, not a bond like we would see a bond in marriage like uh, if we, let's let's quickly jump down to verse twenty seven you 're bound to a wife uh, let 's look at verse thirty nine verse thirty nine would say a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. the word bound and the word the word bondage here is, is, is it brings out it 's a uh, It's referring to the word, it's not the same word as you look at 27, 39, look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 2, where it would talk about a wife being bound to her husband, um, referring to the word bound. Bondage in the Greek word is doulo, d-o-u-l-o-o, which means to make a slave of, enslave or to be enslaved, to make one slave. Uh, make subject of oneself enslaved. Dulo is found eight times in the New Testament. D-O-U-L-O-O is found eight times in the New Testament. Um, this word appears basically giving yourself over as one, as a, as a servant. And that word does not mean the marriage, is not referring to the marriage bond. Uh, like it does in verse 27 and verse 39, that word is do. Deo, which means to bind, to fasten, or to be bound to one, so he's used to represent the marriage bond. It's the word deo, so not the same thing. So the, the thing I guess I'm, I'm wanting to, I just want to bring out to us this morning here, and looking at verse 15 as we continue, is if the unbelieving one leaves, he's Paul's telling them to to leave. You know. One of the things I think to remember it's important for us to realize is that sometimes when you look at a marriage, you look at a situation where you may have a, a Christian in a marriage, you may have someone who's not. When you have someone who's, if you have two individuals who are Christians in a marriage, you've got both that are, so to speak, pulling in the same direction, the harness is together. Um, but sometimes when you don't have that, and again I, 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 let, let me clarify this as I as I speak about this this morning um, you know there are those who are married to someone who's not a Christian and I'm aware I'm, I'm aware of that uh, but I, I want to bring out to the fact that sometimes when there's a spouse that says you know and, and a lot of times I think this is going to be based over a faith issue going to be based over doctrine going to be based on the fact that you're you're a Christian and maybe they're not and they don't want to continue in this in this in this marriage, or they want to continue in this relationship because of that situation. And Paul's telling them if if they decide they want to leave, it's better for you to leave, and we're, you're not under bondage. Now, still have still have a marriage bond; you're still married, but it's it's still I think from again looking at several commentaries there. And let me clarify this as well. There's a lot of tough stuff in chapter seven, so. When, when we look at some of these things in here, but i I think it's important that we realize that uh, if the believing one leaves he says to let them do that God has called us to peace for how do you know old oh wife, whether you'll save your husband or how do you know old oh husband whether you'll save your wife and I think in layman's terms I think what he's saying here is you know if if you're a Christian and, and, and your spouse is not you don't know you don't you don't know if you know if unless they're starting to see you're starting to see some. Something that they're, that they're starting to show interest in, in you and in the work and the things that you're doing to be a Christian in their life. They're starting to show some of those things. But if, if it's completely the other way around it's, and you're not seeing those kind of things, sometimes it's very difficult for us to, uh, and, and I think that's what he's saying. You, how do you know you're going to save your husband? How do you know for you to, you know, sometimes pe- people will even fight sometimes even to the point of maybe their soul's in jeopardy. They're not even in a situation where they should be, and they're they're putting themselves um, in a in a bad state, trying to stay in that marriage. But uh, you know, what if I'm married to an unbeliever, a non-Christian? Paul's telling I think these individuals, if if it's possible, stay in that marriage, stay in that marriage, work it out, make that marriage work, if if all possible. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of a lot of brethren in this church at Corinth when. When you think about again how we transition from now concerning the things you wrote to me, I don't know what the questions were, but I have to kind of I kind of have to look and see when I look at chapter seven and I see some of the things that he says to them. It kind of gives us an idea of what the questions may have been, based on the answers that he provides. Um, and I think it's important. If my unbelieving spouse leaves, he says, "Let them leave." Not obligated to save that marriage at the expense of your faith. I believe is what he brings out here. And as the Lord has called each one, let him walk. He's going to give some examples here uh, as, as we look through. Really uh, and honestly, I think through thirty through the end of thirty-eight. Uh, when I and, and as, as I look at this. Um, and he's going to give some examples of some different different situations here that uh, as each one is called, let him walk um, Paul's going to talk to individuals that he says if you've been circum if that are circumcised or uncircumcised um, I'm going to pull back up here in verse nineteen he says uh, Actually, let me let me bump back up to uh, let me back bump back up to eighteen. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Is anyone being called in uncircumcision? He's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. I want to stop right there again, just to kind of give, I think, just a, what I believe is an overview here. Is he tells them that the important part is doesn't matter what, so to speak, the state you're in here, that it's it's not uh, it's important that you continue to walk after what has God in keeping the commandments of God as He would want you to walk. Let each man remain in the condition that he was called. Verse twenty: Each man must remain in that condition that he was called while you were called. And I think when we see that. Um, when you were called, when you became a Christian, I think it's what he's saying here. When you became a Christian, you know, it didn't matter if you were circumcised or you were uncircumcised. Those things—that—that's not really what matters. A believer being married to a non-Christian, a believer being married to a non-Christian. The, we're not dealing with verses here that are that are talking about a marriage that's in an adulterous or a sinful a sinful state. You know, we see here. That Paul has talked to these brethren from verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. And what has he said to them? He says, I give instruction unto the Lord that the wife should not leave her husband. Do not divorce. Verse 10. Verse 11. Do not divorce. Verse 12. Do not divorce. Verse 13. Do not divorce. Um. And again, I say that. You know, as you look at, at, your, at your translation, I don't think you're going to see what I just said there. But if you sum up and you look at what it says, he must not divorce her. You look at thirteen, must not. You know, husband must not send her away. Same thing. But I, I want to I want to illustrate that and, and make that clear. And I think that's what he's saying. Now, let's. This is where, and, I, and again, just from things that I've seen and, and people that I've heard talk, there are people who would use this particular passage and this particular section of 1 Corinthians 7, and they would say, well, that would mean that, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, I, I, was, I was divorced and married and divorced and married, and divorced and married, and divorced and married, and divorced and married and became a Christian. What they say people will say and use here is the fact that what? Well, Paul's saying, stay the way you are. Stay the way you are. Keep all that matters is keeping God's commands. Stay as you are. We see that first part of that, let him walk. The Lord has called each one to walk. Let him walk as he walks. What do you think about that? Pretty scary. Quiet. Or let me give you another example. You know, this day and time we live in, we live in a, in a, in a world, an environment uh, around us that homosexuality is huge. Man's married to a, a male's married to a male. Females married to a female. And, and that's allowed in, in certain parts of our country today. And that's continued to ramp. But what if, what if one or both of those become married and they, became, they become Christians? They just continue in that relationship. No way. And, I, and, and again, that's not what Paul brings out here. I think what he says here, and, and Chris, I saw your hand, and I'll be with you momentarily. Um, I think it's important for us to recognize that when you know, you, you know, a, a man is married to a, a man is married to a woman, and they be, become a Christian. You stay married in a situation like this, as he's talking about with several wives. Absolutely not. The context is saying it's better not to get married in these situations. It's better not to get married. What if I'm already married to a non-Christian? It says stay in the relationship. Stay in the relationship. Don't depart, even considering the present circumstances. And again, Matt did a good job, I think, in bringing out the fact that they're under this present distress. Based on a lot of what's going on here because of that present distress, I think that's why... Paul brings out some of the things that he does to, to these, to these brethren with regard to, you know, again, stay in that marriage. Um, and, and it's important. Go ahead, Chris.
1: There's so many things here. It's uh, it's, it's very rich with things to think about, but, um, I, I like your point about where it says, uh, in verse 15, not under bondage and how that's a different, um, a different word than, uh, than what is later discussed and being bound to uh, a spouse. Um, the, uh, I guess I look at it like this. Um, he starts the chapter with uh, how we're supposed to be uh, faithful spouses, and these are Christian um, values that we're supposed to be exhibiting. Um, I, I, I suspect that that is what we're under bondage to do, um, as we are a slave to Christ, so the things that we are supposed to do, how we treat our spouses, uh, is that um, is uh, is following is loving them as we should. Um, and there are some parallel passages to that. But in uh, in in 15, uh, so in the like twelve, uh, if a brother has a wife who does not believe, um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, 15. So it it, it, start, it talks about the unbelieving spouses willing to stay with the Christian spouse and how they're not supposed to leave because, you know, they, they could be of benefit to them. Um, and so it's not just don't divorce them. It's also, and, and I think this is implied, is you have to treat them as you should your spouse. Um, and by doing so, you could influence them in a way to, to do that. So absolutely. Um, but if uh, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. And I think the bondage is just an acknowledgement. You can't you can't treat them like you're supposed to as a spouse. You you can't chase after them and say, no, no, I want to I want to do be this for you. And he acknowledges that. So if, if it weren't there, they may ask, well, what do we do? You know, we're, we're stuck. We we can't obey. And we can't do like, like we're supposed to. So I think that's the release there. Um, not necessarily that they should get married again, um, that they have freedom to do so, but that they just can't. It, it's an acknowledgment that they can't be the kind of spouse that they should be as, as God won't want them to be. Appreciate that.
0: Any other? Got one over, over here, Mike. Brother Bruce.
2: the idea that's presented in those who believe that uh, you may have been involved in those many marriages and once you're baptized and all your sins are forgiven and everything's good but that's not so our God who cannot lie through the Holy Spirit who cannot lie has given his word and his commandments that cannot contradict themselves and I do know of one woman in my past years preaching that wasn't an unlawful marriage and she gave up that marriage because she said it wasn't right. The idea of repentance before baptism is to set things right with whom you have offended, I believe. Uh, It's not the idea that a criminal may have is... I'm being chased by the police, so I'm going to run for the border, and I'm two feet over the border. You can't touch me. Uh, that's not what God God has written. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> what he's telling them here is we don't know what's going to happen when we marry, uh, whether we marry a Christian or a non-Christian. Uh, all marriages take work, and they take God, they take prayer, they take commitment and all sorts of things we could talk about. But but Paul here is saying that we can be an influence, or we may not be an influence. No one knows, he says. But if that marriage ends, it's like he proposed uh, elsewhere, that he wished that everyone were like him and uh, would remain unmarried so that he could devote himself uh, to the work. Uh, It's better, uh, and particularly looking at what is mentioned here as the present crisis, whether it be persecution or some other thing, there was something that was prevalent there that had the potential of separating uh, husband and wife, families. And so so that is a precaution that they were told to take. It did not give them liberty to divorce for anything other than sexual immorality. Absolutely. Appreciate that.
0: Yes, go ahead, Mitch. I'm sorry didn't see you there.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, even going back to the beginning of the chapter, Paul has been addressing uh, a certain, you know, through various situations with this church. And one thing that he's addressed is decision paralysis. They had a lot of decision paralysis in the congregation. So when they had an erring brother, they didn't know what to do, so they just didn't do anything. They just let it go. When they had lawsuits come up, they couldn't make the decision themselves, so they took it to an outside source to try and make those decisions. I think here, you know, Paul's addressed those things and told them, you have to make a decision. But your decision has to be with, in accordance with the, God's word and, and what the Lord would want. And I think in verse 19, Paul really sums up a lot of what he's going to tell him through these practical examples throughout. That you know, your goal in making these decisions needs to be what decision can I make that's going to bring me closer to the glory of the Lord and help me most fulfill his commandments. Absolutely. And sometimes it's going to be a personal decision that you have to make. Sometimes it's going to be a decision the congregation has to make. But that has to be your ultimate goal, and if that is your ultimate goal, you'll make the right decisions and you'll you'll move forward as the Lord would have you to.
0: Good point. Or is there another? One? I Josh back in the corner?
3: So, going back to your question about um, you know people trying to remain in an unscriptural marriage and using this passage, I think the key is verse nineteen. And the terminology that's used there for it, where it says neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. So um, I think that's a key wording to help us understand that the context of what we're talking about is something that's um, it's inconsequential, so to speak. Right. Um, there's nothing uh, sinful. There's nothing um, advantageous necessarily one way or the other. Um, whether you're married or whether you're not married, either one of those states is fine um, in the eyes of God. Um, it's just a matter of what's going to be more beneficial um, for serving God. So, you know, this argument of, of trying to justify remaining in a in a sinful situation obviously
0: is not going to fit in this context. Absolutely, and I think just kind of a segue into what Josh had just mentioned. You know, depending on the state you're in, whether you're married or you're not, we're going to see that as we get into the later part of this of this chapter and uh in dealing with and, and maybe why he would encourage someone not to marry why he would say like as Mitch said you know, and, and Bruce you know just to stay like I am to be as I am and you know and, and not married did I see did I see another hand flash I thought I saw one okay seeing things um so it is again I'm, and I'm will continue here where uh you were called, verse 21, when you were called while a slave, do not worry about it. If you were able to become free, rather do that. He who was called, he is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Where did we, where, where did we hear that? Remember, we heard you were bought with a price. Last, last chapter, chapter 6, Paul brings that up. Why would he bring that up with this particular situation? You were bought with a price. Again, gets back to I think to what Mitch had brought out. What is what is our ultimate goal? We should be recognizing that we're trying to serve God. We're trying to glorify Him. We also recognize that uh, when we, He talks about, you know, don't become slaves of men. You were bought with a price, Jesus. Again, this these individuals, these 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 brethren here at Corinth. They were leaning so much on the wisdom of men. They were leaning so much on what they were seeing influence them in the, in the city of Corinth that they were blinded by those things that Paul was is constantly trying to bring them back out of to say, you're a special people. You were you washed. You were justified. You were sanctified. He's trying to get them to understand who they are as they walk with regard to to God, to Jesus Christ, he says in verse twenty four, Brethren, each one of you remain with God in that condition in which he was called." Now, concerning, and I'm gonna gonna kind of shift gears here just a little bit. Um, I'm gonna talk about. See, gets into this this section, the next section here with regard to, to virgins, um, says, I have no commandment of the Lord. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. So we've seen throughout this book, even now, up to this point where Paul has made a statement somewhat like that, where he says, uh, And again, I'm going to kind of paraphrase this, but he says, now concerning this, I have no command of the Lord. This is not something like he's heard or received from the Lord, that this is a thou shalt. This is specific to what he's trying to bring out, but he's also bringing this out. I think when he talks about, but I give an opinion and I'm reading from the new American standard version, I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. He's also going to say that here, and he, and, he, and he has said that and brought that out when he talks about being uh, from the Spirit. He talks about being from the Spirit of God. If you look at verse forty, he says, "And I think in the last part of that forty B, so to speak, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God." You know, here's here's a here's a man that's that is one of the inspired writers, one that we can. You know, and I, and I think when he brings those kind of things out, you know, the message that he that he pins and the things that he writes here, that the Holy Spirit that he has that kind of help, he has that kind of uh, backing and stability, he has that kind of accuracy, truth, and so when he's saying, even sharing his opinion, you know, they could say, well, you're you know, you're not Christ, you're not. This is not God. This is your opinion. This is your perspective. But the thing about it is, think about who are they're taking that opinion or that particular advice from, from someone and how he views his walk and the things that are important to him when it comes to his service before God. Um, I think, then, that this is a good view of the present distress. Here we are again. And I think t- much of what we read about, and, and Matt brought this out, I thought, very well, Um last Lord's day is that a lot of the things that are happening here and probably some of the questions based on the things that they sent Paul and, and and his brother Bruce brought out whether it's persecution or whatever's going on that could affect their marriage that could affect these relationships these are the questions they continue to bring and, and Paul says to them in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is what's he mean by that remain as he is if he's going to remain as he is how is he going to remain? unmarried so when he when when he when he when he says that and again i think this is going to get into something that josh brought out a while ago whether whether you're married whether you're not married that's not the the situation it's important how you stand before god and how you follow his commands but he says here um verse 27 if you're bound to a wife do not seek to be released if you're released from a wife do not seek a wife if you marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you of that. I want to stop right there. Verse 28. You know, I, I think, again, what he's what he's trying, what he's bringing out here. And, and I'm going to try to say this. I'm going to try to say this delicately. At the same time, I'm going to say this. I, I believe from what I see that Paul brings out here is that. Let me let me ask this question. Which do you think is easier? And I think Paul brings this out as he's talking to these to these brothers. Do you see, as you read this, do you see the benefit of not being married? And not knowing what the distress is, do you see the benefit of that? Why would he talk about that? What's the benefit? Now, then you've got some that are married. What's the challenge behind that with this given present-day stress?
1: Well, you've got to worry about doing that. Your spouse takes more of your attention away, where if you're not married, your attention can be solely focused on Christ. But when you're married, you have that attention that has to go to that spouse, so you're not fully dedicated to Christ as you would be if you're single.
0: Okay. And, and Nate, I think I just, brother, you just come on up here and just finish the class. <laughs> Because that's exactly where I was trying to go with that. I mean, and I say that with all due respect, I, and, I, and I, I sincerely mean that. But an individual who's not married, their focus They may have challenges. They may have things in their life that, that, that are bumps in the road and things. That, but when you're married and you have a wife and you have children, think about, you know, in this situation. What if, you know, some of these brethren were worried about being put in prison? Some of these brethren are worried about being beat up. They're worried about being challenged for their faith. Now you've got, you're trying to protect your wife, or you've got a wife that may have to go through that as well. you got children that may have to go through that as well. But if you're single, and I, and I think the more I've read about this and just different, different views of, and perspective that I've seen that people have brought out, this is kind of my nutshell when I read this and how I see that if a person stays single, they don't have some of that pressure. They don't have some of that, some of those challenges. They don't have, and again, as, and, as Nate and I thought very very well stated this, and I think that's what he's trying to say to these brother. If you've married, you've not sinned. If a virgin Mary, she's not sinned. Yet, yet, look at the last part, the last part of 28. Yet, such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you of that. I'm trying to keep you from having to go through that. But I say this, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they've had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And and again, I think we're seeing this. He says the time has been shortened. So I think maybe whatever this duress is, maybe it's going to be short-lived. I mean, again, some of this isn't, doesn't come out to where we understand exactly what's going on and what's happening here but, uh, with, with this. But I think this is something that, that I think he's, that he brings out to them. Um, he says, uh, um, and again, to, uh, verse 31, and those who use this world as though they did not make full use of it and from the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. I want you to be free that the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Verse 32, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Again, as we've talked about, one who's married is concerned about things of the world and how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided divided in his family, divided in his spouse, divided in his wife, and divided in trying to please God and trying to serve. And now, let me ask you this is it possible? Is it possible for that to happen? A husband and a wife. I mean, I, I hope that many of us are, are examples and trying to live lives and married lives that are that try to profess that that it's that it absolutely is possible for us to be married and both husband and wife are trying to work to get to heaven, trying to work to please and glorify God. Um, but again, I, it, I, I've tried to read through each of these verses, and I've tried to think to myself what question did they ask him about this what did they and all i can deduce from that is the answer that he gives here you know w- with regard to this you know is it is it uh, is it lawful is it possible should a, should can, can a virgin one who's not been married should they marry and he and he, ta- and he brings this out for i see this to your own benefit in verse 35 He says, I say this to your own benefit, not to put restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and secure, undistracted in devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks he's acting unbecomingly toward virgin daughter, she's past her youth. And if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. Again, there's a, if you look at the King James Version, you look at the New King James Version, you'll see that the word daughter is not written out. New American Standard shows that in italics. Some say that that, 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 that isn't, isn't in that particular text or the manuscript there. But uh, and I think what he's saying here is, you know, if a father has a, if, and if it's, say, a virgin daughter, or if it's, say, a man that's betrothed to someone who uh, is going is to marry— he says, "If if she, if they want if they want to marry, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. Or if he chooses not to do that, doesn't let her marry. That's okay as well. Uh, he stands. Verse thirty-seven. He who stands firm. He who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well." And again, to not let her marry, he says he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well and he who does not. As we look at verse 38, we've got people standing at the door. We're going to have to shut down right here. And uh, we'll start with a couple of the end of the verses there that we've got with regard to widows. Verse 39 and 40 and get into chapter 8 next week. Thank you very much. Appreciate your comments.